Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. We are going to have fun today, and we're going to talk a little about happiness today. I got the pleasure of interviewing Neil Pasricha, and Neil and I have met doing speaking engagements before. I'm a big fan of his work. He's the New York Times bestselling author of The Happiness Equation, which I, I love this book. I just like the look at this book. I like a smiley face looking back at me. Uh, the Book of Awesome, one of the most clever books I've seen in a long time. Neil had a blog, still has, called A Thousand Awesome Things. Over 50 million hits, and it twice won the Best Blog in the World Award. Now, think of all the bloody blogs out there. And so for those of you who are bloggers and you have aspirations, you should check out his blog and uh, his TED Talk, The Three A's of Awesome. And he has a fantastic podcast of his own called Three Books. And some of our good friends have been on that show talking about their three favorite books. We have a big book reading, book buying audience. And so Neil's got a couple of books well worth listening to and reading and he also has a podcast well worth checking out as you listen to some really cool people talk about the books that have influenced them neil welcome to the show delighted to have you look uh, in the world we live in today we certainly could use some more of this content we know our program is all about people who've been there and done that there's a lot of people who they wrote a book and when you ask them what have they done in their life they wrote a book and that's why their name is above the radar you were 10 years as uh, the leadership development guy at Walmart, which is kind of a big deal and nitty-gritty, trying to help people be happy in a corporate environment, which today is a very difficult situation. So you got dirt under your fingernails, you've rolled up your sleeves, you've done the work, and then you started writing about it. And that's my favorite kind of author, that's my favorite kind of person, been there, done that, and we're fired up to have you today and kind of delve into your content. So let's just kind of start at the beginning. Okay, give us the Reader's Digest version. I mentioned a little bit of your background, but how did you get where you are today? To me, it all started 10 years ago. I had like the worst year of my life. My mm. wife left me mm. and my best friend took his own life in mm. the span of really a few weeks of each other. Mm. Everyone listening, I'm sure, has had crazy years up and crazy years down. And so it was my biggest down year ever in my life. And I thought to myself, I was driving home from work when I was at Walmart, like you said, and, and I thought, well, my dad was an immigrant from India. And he would always say to me, never forget how lucky you are, mm. you know? And I, and I remember those words and I was like, well, that's BS. Like, I, I feel like terrible. I'm, I don't have a place to live. I'm starkly single. I, so I'm having to sell my house when I just bought a house mm. and I've just lost my best friend. So I started a blog. I started a blog called 1000awesomethings.com as a way to cheer myself up. And so every single night I would come home from work and I would write about flipping to the cold side of the pillow in the middle of the night mm. or walking by the smell of the bakery air or finding $10 in your old coat pocket, or finally peeing after holding it forever. And literally for a thousand... <laughs> Never thought of that one, but that is definitely something to grateful for. No, but here's the thing. I just thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? If I can do this for a thousand straight days, mm. then I should, by the end of it, have worked myself up to a better mood. And so you mentioned Walmart. While at Walmart, the blog took off. While at Walmart, the Book of Awesome came out, which was wow. the book based on the blog. While at Walmart, the sequels came out. And so then, after a few years, I met someone new. Her name was Leslie. We got married. And on the flight home from our honeymoon, she told me she was pregnant, like on the plane, like 50,000 feet above sea level. She bought the pregnancy test in the airport on our layover. Nice. 
And then when I landed home in Toronto, I then spent the next nine months, you can guess why it's nine months, writing a 300-page love letter to my unborn child. Mm. That letter is called The Happiness Equation. That's the book you have there. Wow. That's amazing. Want nothing, do nothing, have everything. I love the subtitle of that book. And, you know, this is just great stuff. And this is a lift for the spirits just listening to you. You know, we live in a world where a lot of people are hurting. You know, I presented to a room with thousands of people just last week. And I said, you know, I don't know how many people in this room are dealing with divorce. I don't know how many people in this room are dealing with, right now, an addiction of some sort. I don't know how many people drove here today, and one of the thoughts that came into their head in the last 24 hours was ending their own life. And the silence in the room was so thick. And I gave five or six more examples. And it's just like, everybody thinks they're the only one going through it. Especially with men, we're embarrassed to tell anybody because we're supposed to be 10 feet tall and bulletproof and never have a bad day. And everybody thinks I'm the only one. And that's why when someone like yourself comes out and goes, here it is, the dump truck landed on me. Divorced, best friend's dead, I'm here. The dynamic of the thousand awesome things. Let me ask you this. Cicero said that gratitude is not only the greatest of all virtues, it is the parent of all others. Do you believe in that dynamic? Is that the deep expression of gratitude? Your father's advice to you, how lucky are you? Do you think it's the gratitude and the expression of that and the awareness of that and then actually writing yourself clear? Do you think that is where the transformation came from? Yeah, absolutely. You know, here's the thing. People always say, when you started writing a thousand awesome things, how did you come up with the list of a thousand? And I said, oh, no, you don't understand. I had like four. I had like four lists. That's it. But once you start going, then you're spending your days with a cue card in your pocket looking for them. And all your friends are starting to send you text messages and little emails saying, hey, this happened to me. All the examples I just gave you, Brian, none of those came from me. Someone texts me and says, how about the cold side of the pillow? I write it down the next day. I write the essay. And here's the thing. Professors Emmons and McCullough did this amazing research. And they showed that if you write down five things you're grateful for at the end of the week for 10 weeks in a row, then after the 10-week period, not only are you happier, so this is proven, and you're, you're all happier, that's kind of what you're saying, but you're also, this is the surprising part, physically healthier. Wow. When they look into the elements of your body that we can test for physically, those things all improve too. Right. It's not just your brain. You're getting up. You're moving. You're yeah. more likely to exercise. You eat a little bit better. Wow. You don't have a second dessert because everything feels better now. Right. It's interesting. You know, I've often talked about the Thanksgiving exercise I do every year with my family. And after dinner and whatever else, we sit around and, you know, when the kids were small, I'd hand out a, a notepad. And i go, okay, write out the things you're thankful for. And I'd play the classical Baroque-style <laughs> music, do the mihai chiksek, mihai exercise of flow. You know, my kids have yeah. grown up in the weirdest seminar environment of all time, right? <laughs> I just want more stuffing, Dad. Yeah, right. You know, Dad, <laughs> who's talking about mihai chiksek, mihai, Dad? I'm four, for goodness sakes. So we do the exercise, and I'd be like, I- I'm thankful for freedom liberty, the free market system, the opportunity to grow. And I'd have a list, and I had my wife, family, I'd have a list, and I had about 20 things. And then I'd get up, and I'd be doing this, or maybe cleaning up, whatever, and the kids would be writing. And all, in the early days, it took me years to figure this out. They would be writing and writing and writing. And I'm thinking, oh, it's really slow. And I'd always think, God, the kids are, you know, it takes them a long time to write. You know, I'm so quick. So it always was, you know, myself and Grandizman. I'm so fast. And then we'd start sharing their lists. And they go, I'm thankful for the butterflies outside the window. I'm thankful for the hummingbirds that come to our feeding center every day. And they'd have 40 things between them on nature. And I'd go, oh, yeah, right. And I'd write down nature. You know, I mean, it's like, 
Now, it's interesting, as they've gotten older, their lists have gotten compact again. And mm-hmm. I think culturally we do that. And that's why I think when we go back to that youthful state of wonder, you know, like I walked outside last night and there was a sunset like no other. I'm just standing here, taking it in. I'm having a good day, you know? Yeah. We have so much to be thankful for, especially in the Western Hemisphere. There's so many things that we take for granted, especially in North America. There's so much we're blessed with. That doesn't mean there's not pain, hurt, difficulty, but like you say, the physiology is there, the science is there. This is how you get healthy. Well, you know, the game you played at Thanksgiving with the notepad and the positive psychology, like it reminds me of something that my wife and I do today, which we call rose thorn bud. Hmm. So every night at the dinner table, everybody has to go around the table and say a rose from your day, mm-hmm. the gratitude or highlight something small. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife will say like, you guys put the toilet seat down. You know, it could be something <laughs> tiny. Uh, a thorn, this is the part that we kind of miss. A thorn is something that did not go well. Yeah. Because rather than bottling it up, let's just yep. share it at dinner time. Yep. And then the bud, which is B-U-D, bud, yeah. is something you are looking forward to. Right. Rose, thorn, bud. And, and do we do it every day? No. But we always have this conversation as much as we can. Say, like, hey, what was your rose today? What yeah. was your thorn? What was your bud? And the research also shows that, yeah, the more specific you can be, the more, more micro, the more you can identify and relate to that. Partly because I think, Brian, we play life for the big wins. Oh, I want to get a promotion. I want to get married. I want to have a kid. I want to... But if you add it all up time-wise, you're adding up like 1% of your life. 99% right. of your life is the small stuff. Mm. In your book, you talk about happiness as 10% circumstances and 90% how we handle it. How can you help our audience better understand and work through these tough situations so that they know, okay, 90% of this is in my lap, not the 10% that happened to me? Sure, absolutely. And so one thing I do in the happiness equation is I'm not really a researcher. Like, I just read a lot. So there's yeah. 300 positive psychology studies done. Yeah. I go through all of them. I'm like, what are the gold nuggets that I can simplify and distill for myself and for my kid in this book and for other people? So this one comes from a study from Sonia Libomirsky. She has a great book called The How of Happiness. And she comes up with this model that shows, this is amazing, that 50% of our happiness is based on our genetic set point. Okay, you got two kids, one of them slightly happier than the other, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. 50% is genetics, 10% is your circumstances, okay? What's happening in the markets, what's happening in your relationships, what's happening in the news. And then the other 40% is what she calls intentional activities, okay? So you used my model and you said, hey, Neil, where'd you get this line? 10% what's happening to us, and the other 90% is what we do about it. Well, it's because, look, you start off with a genetic baseline, 40% is the amount you can control. Mm-hmm. What goes in that 40%? That's where you play Rose Thorn Bud. You do some journaling. Mm-hmm. You can do meditation. You can go for a nature walk. You can get some exercise. We know all the things that you can do. It's just that what we're not aware of is how much we can control. People think the circumstances is way higher. There's a famous study done a long time ago that shows that lottery winners and paraplegics, you might remember this study, mm-hmm. a year mm-hmm. after they have their accident or they win the lottery, they revert back to their relative baseline. Right. In fact, the lottery winners have more problems because now they've got all kinds of stress related to money that they didn't yeah. have before. They've got guilt because I screwed it up. It costs a lot of money to maintain all of yeah. a sudden. So you got problems that you didn't expect. So 10%, yeah, that's out of your control. That's your circumstances. The other right. 90%, you know what? There's things you can do in the 40, and 50% you can't control anyway, so just give it up. Right. As I think about this, I think of the great Charlie Daniels. He was the guy the devil went down to Georgia, and he's you know one of the greatest fiddle players of all time. And 
And they asked him, you know, they were doing a biography for him because he goes, I'm not going to be the first guy to write a book that never read a book. He said, greatest concert you ever gave. And he mentioned this small place, not the huge, giant place he was. He said, anyone who was there will never forget it. People 30 years later talk about it. And it's because every string on his fiddle broke but one. Wow. And so normally they'd stop the concert whenever he goes, look, y'all. He said, sometimes I break one. I'm after breaking them all but one. What do you want me to do? And they just kept cheering. He said, all right. And he played with the one string he had. And they said it was the greatest concert. And, you know, he's 52 years on the road. And that's the one that stands out as his most memorable time. And that's the one that the people were there that remember the most. And it's like, hey, it's a great example of what you're teaching. You know, it's like, okay, circumstances, you know, you break a string. That's not uncommon for a musician, but you break all of them but one. That's kind of a shock. And he had the best concert of his life at one string. That's amazing. It's such a great story, Brian. It reminds me of the fact that how many of us have spent a lot of money on a vacation that you did not love as much as a vacation that you spent no money on? Right. Right. You know, you go camping with your yeah. kid by the woods, you remember it, you drop a lot of coin on finally affording the luxury dream trip. I've done this. Yeah. And then you get there and you're like, ah, oh, it's too hot. And you know what? <laughs> Dinner's too late. And like, my kid can't go on the beach. They don't like sand. And then the whole thing's a mess. And, you're, yeah. and the whole time you're thinking, and I just spent some thousands of dollars on this. Yeah. Right? It's like we can't predict in advance what yeah. will make us happy. Right. That's great. I think the big thing for us, like, we have, so I'm thinking about, uh, you know, you're talking about your kids. I got six of them, right? And I think about all the great experiences and all the magic has always happened on the way. All the magic has mm. always happened. It's kind of like the comment in the car with your four year old after he scarfs the hot dog down and he says something and a moment of magic takes place. And that's kind of the society we sell the whole have quality time. And I go, you know, I find that quality time happens when I have a quantity of time. You know, it's funny. I was talking to David Allen, the Getting Things Done gentleman. Yeah. He was at our event here recently. And he said, it takes an awful lot to get the simple. You know, here's the organizational guru. And it takes an awful lot to get the simple. And you think about it. Happiness, it takes a lot of process to get to this simple. And it's the small. And it's this interaction. It's this simple connection. It's these magic moments. And then treasuring them and value them. I love Rose Thornbud. Unfortunately, my kids are going to be writing notes because obviously that's getting instituted in the Buffini family right away. <laughs> and they're going to be like, who's this Neil guy? So I have a few questions for you that actually be very helpful for our audience. You know, writing personal notes is a cornerstone of how we train our people to do business, build relationships. Our company produces 12 million personal notes a year for our clients to give to their customers. And so in the book of Awesome, you mentioned how awesome it is to receive a personal note. Now, our folks, to some degree, we've turned it, unfortunately, because we're coaching them and training them and challenging them. We've turned it into eat your vegetables, you know, brush your teeth. And I'm kind of dad, kind of constantly hounding them to do this. But I love the fact maybe you can talk about, hey, guys, you know, this is how people receive this. And this is what it does for them when they get it. Absolutely. So, yeah, in the book of awesome, I have an entry called Getting Anything Handwritten in the Mail, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the specialness. And then when you talk about that, everyone can relate because what kind of world do we live in today? We live in a world where we have information shooting at us from all sides. You can't walk outside your house, open your mailbox, open your email box, open mm -hmm. your inbox, check your Instagram, anything without getting flooded with ads. Mm -hmm. But what those things have in common is they're almost always digital, mass produced, and impersonal. Mm -hmm. So if you can go against all of those three things, not digital, not mass produced, and not impersonal, the opposite, then not only do you stand out, but you're communicating to someone, hey, in addition to the 
content of your note, you're saying, I value you. Clearly, mm. I value you enough that I would spend my own time, my own effort, my own money doing something that will stand out. Mm -hmm. There was a COO that uh, used to work with me when I was at Walmart. And you say, you know, we've kind of trained it into them, like eat your vegetables. Well, he would have his assistant. Walmart has a lot of stores, as mm -hmm. you can imagine. Yeah. So he had his assistant look up every single store manager's birthday. Let's just say there's 500 stores in the area he oversaw. So that's 500 birthday cards. So then, literally at the front of every month, he would be like, get the stack of the birthday cards, write the note at the top, sign it at the bottom, and then if it came to him, if it yeah. didn't, fine, he might not know them all, right. then he'd write a little, you know, like, hope to see you in the Nimo BC next year, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, yeah. like, hope your 40th is a special one, right? Whatever it is, and just the idea that they got a birthday card in the mail, written and signed by the COO, mm -hmm made a world of difference for these managers because sure. no one ever did that before. In fact, half their family and friends didn't do that. Right. It's magic, and I, I think it's great. Let me ask you this. You know, I have right here, I got my good old phone sitting next to me, and I'm pretty diligent about it. I, I've changed some disciplines lately. I used to have my phone by the bed. That's where I plugged it in, recharged it. I'd use it as an alarm or a clock. But I also found myself when I'd wake up early morning, you know, checking the news stories, checking this. And I found myself having a sucky start to every day and almost like fighting through it. How do you deal with it? You know, you look at it and you look at the current environment, the political environment, the way the news, you know, it's like, here's the thing. We, we just had a situation and forget politics, but imagine this. We just had a situation where there was a, an investigation in America to see if an American president was in collusion with the Russians. This is kind of like finding out that, you know, the goalkeeper for the Maple Leafs is under contract <laughs> for the Canucks, you know what I mean? It's like, Thank you for tailoring that example. Come on, little, little Canadian. I should have gone Montreal, right? <laughs> so, you know, can you imagine, right? I mean, it's like, hold on a second yeah. here. Our hated enemy here is playing for the other team. And viewership disappeared on seven major networks by 50% when they go, ah, we don't think there's something here. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is, a political hot potato. We're living in this kind of crazy world right now, and everything's jacked up. Obviously, you look at these media outlets, they were making a lot of money off of this, right? So it's in their best interest to have 50% higher viewership. It's in their best interest because the more people who watch, the more money they make, the more clicks someone can get. So we're facing something that I don't think any culture has ever had before, which is people are paid hundreds of millions of dollars as organizations to actually get our attention towards that which is fearful, that which is negative, that which is a downer, because if they do that, they capture our attention and they make a lot of money. So it seems like there's more of a war against happiness than ever before. How do you deal with this? The whole time you're saying this, I'm like, I just want to like high five you. I completely agree. First of all, let me to try to define the problem a little bit more acutely, and okay. then let me give you my solution. Sure. So I use the three P's framework. They all start with the letter P. Okay. There's three problems with cell phones right now, okay? okay. Yeah. And you just articulated the first one beautifully, which is psychological. Mm -hmm. you got a psychological problem. You used to be able to be the best basketball player in your high school, but now there's someone better on the internet. YouTube. Someone has more followers. Someone looks better than you. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll speak at a conference like you will, and I'll say, look, we all just ate a delicious buffet dinner. But if you go on Instagram right now, someone's eating lobsters in the Maldives. <laughs> like, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> the tiramisu that you just say sucks all of a sudden, right? Someone's down the Nile, and they're pouring chocolate out of a boot into their mouth, you know? <laughs> exactly. So psychologically, you are 
permanently inferior. Wow. That's the first P. Okay? Brilliant. That's okay. brilliant. The second P is physical. We aren't talking about this one enough, Brian. Well, we're going to have to start. And that is that when you tilt your head down to look at your cell phone, you're applying 60 pounds of pressure to your spine. Okay? We're developing a nation of hunchbacks. If you look around, just walking around the street, you'll notice this. Everyone's got a hunch now. Mm. Second thing is, I go to the physiotherapist last year. I'm embarrassed to tell you this because my thumb stopped working. I could not move my thumb. And you know what she says to me, the therapist? She says to me, oh, yeah, uh, all we do is thumbs now. Like, when you were a kid, you probably remember kids had casts. Remember casts? Someone's arm and leg. You got Because they were it, playing know? outside? Exactly. Because they were playing outside. Something broke. But now everyone just has sunken bags under their eyes and their thumbs don't work. Okay? There's a physical problem. You have a texting thumb? I'm embarrassed to tell you. I had to do like two weeks of rehabilitation. I did like, that's the funny thing is that you couldn't tell anyone this. They'd just like laugh at you, right? Yeah. It's not like I got shot saving a nun walking across the street. No. I text so fast that my thumb stopped working. But wow. the head down thing is too. And by the way, if you want to learn more about this, I highly recommend the book Presence by Amy Cuddy, and there's a great TED Talk where she talks about body posture and body position, okay? Mm. That's that. That's the second P, physical. The third P is maybe the most scary of all, which is physiological, your mm. biology, your body. Okay, new research has come out of Australia. It shows that when you expose your brain, which is your eyeballs, to bright screens within one hour of bedtime, your brain does not produce as much melatonin mm. overnight, Melatonin is the sleep hormone. You ever wake up in the morning and you're like, man, I feel like I didn't sleep. Yeah. And it's like, well, were you texting before bed? Did you send an email at 1130 that you're probably really not proud of in the 7 a.m.? You know, and people are like, oh, that's why they sleep. Your brain thinks it's looking at a fire. It thinks it's looking at the sun. You think it's mm -hmm. morning. You think you're wide awake. So you can't sleep. And guess what happens when you can't sleep? Your resilience goes down. So what do you do with low resilience? Check your phone. Mm. It's an easy hit. The dopamine hit, right? So those are the three Ps. There's a psychological problem, a physical problem, and a physiological problem, the biology side. So what are the solutions? Okay, yeah. First of all, I want to be very, 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 very clear. The cell phone is a problem. The cell phone is a massive problem. Mm. I understand it's a work device. I understand it's a tool you can never give away. Now, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I have one, too. Mm. But here's the thing. Recognize and relabel it in your mind as a problem. Now that you can do that, it's time to fix it. Mm. First app you got to download is called Forest. F-O-R-E-S-T, forest. You press the button on the button, forest. You say, I want to do 10 minutes or half an hour, 16 minutes, whatever you want. A tiny tree starts to grow, a little sassily, cute little seed, <laughs> turns into a tiny tree, grows a little bit bigger. As soon as you use your phone, you kill the tree. Wow. You're a tree murderer. And you set the time. You can say, I don't want to use my phone for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. What's the goal of the app? To build a forest, mm -hmm. right? To continue to press a button to put your phone away so you can do some deep work. Mm -hmm. Whether that's a client meeting, whether that's, hey, I just want to have an hour-long walk to think about my business, whatever. Yeah. Or go for a walk with my kid. Okay? That's the first thing you do. Second thing you do is got to put your phone in black and white. There's a great book about this called Irresistible by Adam Alter. Okay. I'm just dropping books. I know your listeners are big oh, readers. big time. Yeah, this book is about how essentially the cell phone has been designed to mimic a Las Vegas casino, okay? Yeah. You walk into a casino, there's no clocks, you can't look at the floor, everything's bells and whistles. The phone is the same thing. Mm. So you got to turn it, you have to make it from physically attractive to physically unattractive. Mm. So I've permanently turned my phone in black and white. If you look at my phone, nice. it's permanently black I'm going to do it right now once I get one of my tech guys to show me how. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can show you how too. Great. And, and then here's the thing about that is that in the bottom of your phone, there's something called the, uh, you know, that little bar with like all the email and stuff. Yeah. 
Okay. Look at mine. Can you see it? Yeah. Empty. Yeah, right. I've moved Okay, the email app, the texting app, all those apps that hook our attention with little yep. numbers that say how many people you missed. Yeah. I've moved and deleted all those things away from the front screen. Why? Because now when I check my text and I check my email, I have to be intentional about it. Mm. I have to decide to do that. There's a big difference between when your device is a push device sending you stuff yeah. to when it's a pull device. Wow. And you're like, oh, you know what? I say to my wife, I think I'm going to spend half an hour doing emails today. She's like, great. But what that prevents me from doing is constantly hijacking my own brain and little dopamine hits 17 times a day to check email. I'm loving this. And here's the thing. You're one of the few people who has the chops right now to say anything because everybody's worships at the Apple altar or the Amazon altar or the Google altar. And these are, no, they're tech. It's the emperor's new clothes. If you are the person who says anything contrary to how these guys lead, you know, you're just not with it. You're not in it. You're kind of left behind. And, you know, these guys are, they're like business people like everyone else. And now, you know, Apple is like a mutual fund. It's actually traded like a mutual fund on its stock price. And that's why it has to do all kinds of stuff. You know, we got, they're coming out with an entire network now of, you know, they've hooked up with Oprah and Spielberg and whoever else to try to provide programming. And the truth of the matter is, you just said something that is as powerful a statement as I've heard this year. The cell phone is a problem. It is a problem. It is a societal problem. I cannot agree more. You know, in many ways, the younger generations who have a lot of great qualities, they're not just out for themselves. They think about the environment. They think about social responsibility. They don't just want to have the biggest house. Or the... But there's also this drone effect that's taken place. They're losing their ability to be social through social media. They're losing their ability to have relationships. They're losing it to have a conversation. Loneliness has never been higher. 40% of us right. are living alone now, and they have less friends now. There's a new study that came out that said, how many people do you think you could call if you're in an emergency? The number has never been lower. Wow. We have so many more superficial friendships and so many less deep friendships. Nice. I love those tips, and I think it's great to go pursue, right? Pursue the good life. Pursue happiness. You know, and that's what we're promised, right? The pursuit of happiness. We're not guaranteed happiness, right? You're right. allowed to go chase it, you know? I'm curious to know your take on this, and this is something I'm working on right now with the group, is from your perspective, what's the difference between happiness and joy? Ah, happiness is the joy you feel while striving towards your potential. So in my book, The Happiness Equation, you said the yeah. subtitle at the beginning, Brian, want nothing plus do anything equals have everything, mm -hmm. okay? Want nothing is about contentment, okay? There's lots of great quotes and studies on this. He who wants the least has the most. Yep. And then do anything is about freedom. Yes, we're promised life and liberty, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. But true freedom, of course, is deciding how to spend your time. Right. Right? It's to stop the things you own from owning you, right? I mean, that's... You got it. Right? You nailed it. Can yeah, you give that exactly. definition again? It was so profound. I mean, I know this is like breathing to you, but give that definition that you just had a moment ago. It was sure. It's a definition that comes, a number of positive psychologists these days are using this definition. It originally comes from about 2,000 years ago. Happiness is the joy you feel while striving towards your potential. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we make that differentiation is because people are like, oh, yeah, I eat a chocolate bar, I'm happy. I get that, but you're also happy running a marathon with shin splints in the rain or delivering a baby 
out of your body when you're screaming in pain, why do those things that are causing you so much pain and aggravation and frustration actually give you happiness? It's because they give you a deep joy in your personal growth and your personal view of yourself. Mm-hmm. So you can run through rain with chin splints in a marathon and you will actually be happy because what you're actually feeling is mm. a joy towards striving towards your greater potential. Mm. You're expanding your view of yourself and increasing and shifting your identity into a version of you that you're like, I love this. I'm someone who exercises. I'm someone who can take care of myself. I'm someone who can deliver a baby. Like that's amazing. And I've, you have six, so I'm, I'm like halfway to you, (laughs) but you know, I've been at those births and it's like, as you know, it's like, it's like mind blowing. And I can tell you one thing when my wife, when she gave birth was not happy. She was feeling a lot of joy. She gave birth. I love it. And that's the deal. And I think people are sometimes confusing that whole dynamic. I'm supposed to feel happy. That's the confirmation I'm on the right path. But sometimes, you know, like passion. Everybody wants to be passion. The word passion comes from the word paseo, and it means suffer. And it's like, what are you willing to suffer for? And so I just think there's a profoundness to all this. There's an excitement I feel. I'm just excited to get your message out there. I think our world's in dire need of this stuff, Neil. I love the split you just gave because that also reminds me of the word stress. Everyone says, I feel stressed. It's not good. I said, well, is it you stress or distress? Right. You stress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, is actually positive. Mm-hmm. Those are butterflies because you're about to give a big speech and you're about <laughs> to expand your version of stuff. Distress, that's the troubling one. Right. So when we use these big words, we throw them around. Yeah, I love that. You've got to spread it up. Is it good or is it bad? It's not always bad. Yeah. It's beautiful stuff. Let me do this real quick. It's your first time on the show, so I want to hit you with our five questions. We ask everybody and anybody, and I'd love your take on it. I think I know the first one, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Don't take advice. That's my advice. Because here's yeah. the thing, Brian. Yeah, sure. is that okay. When I was a kid, I opened the newspaper, and the cover of the Toronto Star says, everyone gets enough vitamin D, you don't need more. I go to the New York Times, the cover of the newspaper says, everyone needs 2,000 things of vitamin D. I'm like, what the heck? So I go into the research a little bit more. Guess what? All advice conflicts. Is it the early bird gets the worm, or is it good things come to those who wait? Yeah. Is it actions speak louder than words? Or is it the pen is mightier than the sword? When we are searching for advice, we're really searching for an alibi. The true answers are inside Mm. you. If it resonates with you, that means you already knew it. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to out you on this because you did take one piece of advice. And it was from your dad who said, how lucky are you? And that was a good piece of advice because that was a trusted source. You follow? Right? That was a trusted source. You go deep into my stuff, you'll know if I'm just going to talk in circles the whole time. But that is a good piece of advice. But the last secret of the happy equation is just don't take advice. No, I agree. Right? This one is like, this will make you fat. This will make you skinny. And the next book says exactly. that will make you And so at the end of the day, like I'm on a program right now of eating and my body feels better than ever. And I'm doing everything contrary to what I was told for about three years. So... It's all I good. I to the Rich Rule podcast. He's a staunch vegan, most healthiest guy, good-looking guy, yeah. runs ultra marathons. I listen to Jordan Peterson. The guy says, I only eat beef, 100% beef. I'm like, what the heck? 100% beef. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like, don't take it. Like, you got to figure this out yeah, on your own. I love it. Okay, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? I'd love to be a better singer. I'd love to sing. Number Here one is. answer. Is it? Yep. Yeah. I think we're surrounded by good singers, so we all think we can. And then, yeah. you know, you give it a whale in the car and everyone, your kids will tell you to shut I up. Know. Wouldn't it be nice to stir people, though? <laughs> Isn't that the deal? To really move people yeah. with a song? That's the gift. David Lally, our producer, knows, and the rest of us just live in his world. Next, 
we ask our guest about what book has been most instrumental in your life, but you know that's your whole podcast, right? So you've mentioned about twenty yes. books here. But what are your what are your three books? Let me give you one that completely Great. changed my life. It's yeah. called The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb. Yeah. A Black Swan event is defined as a disproportionately huge event, like, say, 9-11 or the dawn of the iPhone, that, in retrospect, you think you can explain. You're like, oh, well, of course that were to happen. They, the, Osama bin Laden hated it. Like, you just justify it. Yeah. But actually, those are all mental fallacies. And so the thesis of the book is that in order to win at life, you must continue to expose yourself to potential Black Swans. Mm. Essentially, it's the roulette idea of putting a chip on every number because you don't know which one's going to win. Mm. How does this come into effect in practice? Go to parties where you don't know anyone. Mm. Put yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable. Take the friend's friend offer to go out on a date. Yeah. You, you don't know that person. And when you do that, like what I haven't told you is I launched seven websites in the past year. One of them is all about cell phone addiction. I've written books that have launched this little millions. I've written a lot of books that have completely failed. If you ask a wedding photographer, how do you take so many pictures? They always say, well, I just take 2,000 <laughs> pictures. No wonder I get 50 good ones. Yeah. How many hits you get? It's how many times you step up to the plate. Yeah. That's the idea. Love it, love it, love it. Don't the like Black it. Swan love by, it. By Nassim Talent. Nice, beautiful. Okay, movie you watch over and over again. It's on. You're scrolling. You don't watch a lot of it, but you're scrolling, and this thing's on. And you always seem to stop. What's that one? It's probably Being John Malkovich. Oh, <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> because Why? it's it's well, Spike Jones's first movie. I love yeah. him. I love you know. For example, he did Her. Yeah. You know, he does a great, great movie. It's also Charlie Kaufman's first movie as a writer. He's also done like adaptation. And so I, it's like my favorite, one of my favorite directors, one of my favorite writers. They're together and it's both of their first time. Nice. It's like a special movie. And I watched it when I was in college and it opened my mind to the potential you could do with absurd art. I never nice. thought of that idea. And essentially, The Book of Awesome, my first book, is really just a piece of absurd art. Nice. Why would you fill 400 pages writing about warm underwear from the dryer? That shouldn't <laughs> exist in the world, but. There you go. You have it I'm, up there. I'm glad it does, and I'm thankful for warm <laughs> underwear from the dryer, uh, especially when you're in the colder climates. I grew up in Ireland, you're in Canada. We are, in San Diego, it's not such a big deal, but let me tell you. Last but not least, what's on your bucket list yet to be done? <sighs> well, I would like to become a great dad. It's something I work on every day. I don't think I'm there yet. I'd like to be better. Nice. You're a special guy. You got a great message. Thanks for being such a great guest. Thanks for the work you're doing. Keep going strong. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks for being our guest today. And speaking of awesome, I'm going to throw our program over to our awesome producer, Mr. David Lally, who can both sing, talk, and do it all. He just has a longer list than the rest of us, Neil. So over to you, David. Too kind, boss. Thank you. And thanks to Neil. You gave us plenty to chew on today. We often get asked by listeners, where can you see Brian live? So I did want to make sure I answered that question. Each August in San Diego, Brian and guest speakers take the stage at our largest personal growth event, Mastermind. It's actually been sold out for seven years, but we've moved to a larger venue. So if you want to come, we'd love to have you. Head over to buffiniandcompany.com slash mastermind to book a ticket before they're sold out again. Okay, before we go, I wanted to share some words from listener Carmen D. Wilson. Brian Buffini is my go-to podcast. I love it every time. I've been a part of Buffini's real estate training since I started my career, and I love his programs. I listen to the podcast every week, and it always sets me on the right path. I take away tidbits of new ideas, and they give me a positive mindset to make every day great. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Brian, and the entire Buffini team. Thanks, Carmen, and we'll see you all next week on The Brian Buffini Show. 
for now, Brian's mum, Therese, can send us home. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. <laughs>